0: what's up everybody out there in podcast land once again it's time for the come on sun podcast i'm your host ed lover and as usual this is all all every bit of what i do y'all know i gotta give props to my man who got me started in podcasting the one and only combat jack i like to call him the overseer of my podcast he's looking down on me from heaven He's the one that put me on. He's the one that convinced me to do this. And for whether for him, I would have never got into podcasting. I had to hear it from the pod father himself that I needed to get into podcasting, man. And he, he he put me on. So I always dedicate every show that I do to the memory of the greatest podcaster ever, Mr. Combat Jack. Joining me on the Ed Lover, come on, setting the podcast today is the host of the We Out chair show on Shade 45, Tuesday through Friday, 12 to 3, uh, 9 to 1 Pacific. It's all about beats, rounds, and lifestyles. You can also catch them on Hip Hop Nation, Channel 44, Monday through Friday. And that's 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., 8 a to 2 p.m specific. I don't know how he wears so many hats. This dude is into fashion. He's into music. He's into everything. And he's from New York City, just like me. Welcome, Gray Rizzy, to the show, y'all. What's up, brother? Welcome. Thanks for me, bro. Uh, anytime, bro. In- in- anytime. Tell me about growing up in the South Bronx. What was that like for you? What Tough. years are we talking about? <laughs> Tough.
1: Uh, I grew up, let's see, I moved around a little bit in the South Bronx. So we're talking about like 75, Okay. was born, and I moved down to North Carolina, came back. I was like 79, came back in like 81, 82.
0: Okay. And then from there, growing up in the South Bronx. So you were around the South Bronx in the 80s when dudes was making a lot of money from drugs. Definitely. A lot of money. Burnt down buildings.
1: A lot of, you know, the yards had a bunch of brick and rubble in it. Kids doing backflips on mm-hmm. mattresses and stuff like that, but cats was getting money.
0: Right. Two-parent home? No,
1: one. Your mom? Yes, mom and grandmother. And if you, want, if I'm being honest, really my grandmother more than my mother. Why is that? Mother was, you know, she was out doing other stuff. Uh, you, I just, it, we, I had another. My younger brother was born, and then in my family, what we did is she, we, they kind of split the responsibilities. So my younger brother went with my mom, and when I went down to North Carolina, I stayed with my grandmother. Okay. So we were always together, and then eventually we came back. But my mom was kind of moving around, trying to, I'd say, try to find herself. Young mother? Yeah.
0: When she had you? How old? Yeah. Twenty. 19, 20, Twenty, nineteen? 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It happens like way sometime. Yeah. So how did how did that whole growing up in the South Bronx shape you? What did what, what did you do? Did you what were you into as a kid? What were you doing? I was
1: into like around my block, man, you know, we I grew up right in the middle of Forest, McKinley projects, and then Webb in Washington. I was right there on one sixty one sixty seventh in between 169 and then, say, 3rd Ave, Boston Road, and all that stuff. So if you know the area, I was in the middle of two of the biggest projects in the Bronx. Right. Housing complexes. We played a lot of stickball, football, manhunt, stuff like that. But,
0: you know, you see... A lot of people maybe listen don't know what manhunt is, bro. Explain to them what manhunt is. Well, manhunt... Take the name
1: manhunt, <laughs> right? And then somebody's it, and then you just got a whole block that's trying to find this person. You feel what I'm saying? In the summertime, it was a it was a lit ass game. So we used to play that a lot, man. People come outside, and then I eventually got into basketball and into sports. Did you play
0: basketball in school?
1: A little bit, not enough, because my 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 it's not like my grades was a problem. I just went to schools where we had powerhouses. Like I went to in high school, I went to Talentine. I went to La Salle. Wow, Talentine got shut down. But uh, at the time, who did they They had Red Archery, they had Brian Reese. Brian Reese went on to go to North Carolina and win the chip. So it was a lot of talent there, so I never really made the cut. But I was always, you know, one of the cool cats. So it's like
0: I was always rolling with the team. Shout out to my man Kareem Reed, Elvis Blunt, all those guys. Damn, so you went to school with some ball-playing cats. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for real. For real. How was high school for you, man? Good grades? High school was kind of weird because I was bouncing around a lot. So,
1: and, and again, it wasn't the grades, man. I went to uh, I went to Catholic school. And, you know, there's tuition with that. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, I wasn't the ball players that, you know, got sponsored. So right. it was a lot of pressure on my family, on my grandmother. So sometimes the tuition would get paid. Then, you know, you have to have a conversation with the priest or the principal. Oh, wow. Sometimes you got to switch a school here and there. But, you know, luckily I was able to graduate three, four schools later.
0: What was it about hip-hop? That grabs you and made you feel like this is something that I wanna be a part of. Let me
1: let me put it like this. Um, I grew up again in the South Bronx. I think we said that already, but that was the birthplace. So mm-hmm. in real time I'm seeing things happen, not realizing how big it was gonna be, but I knew it was something to be prideful about. Like this coming from my home. Mm-hmm. Literally the block I grew up on was right it was on the same block, just down the block from the armory that KRS-One was in. I remember being in one of the first videos that KRS-One did. Oh, wow. You feel what I'm saying? And then if you look over on the forest side, you had Rob going crazy with the block parties. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about Lord Finesse. Mm -hmm. And then you had all the DITC with that. Later on down the road, I I come to find I'm doing an interview with DITC. They went to the same school I went to, and they knew my grandmother. Wow. Um, You know, so there was a lot of pride in that. Um, If I go to the other side. DITC,
0: y'all was digging in the crates. Digging in the crates. In in case y'all don't know.
1: But down the block you had Tim Dog and you know F. Where Compton is Tim Dog? That's a that's a that's a question everybody want to know right now.
0: Yeah. You know, but you Tim Dog, y'all go and Google Tim Dog. Tim Dog was the first East Coast artist when N.W.A., Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, Eazy-E, and them could do no wrong in hip hop. Tim Dog was the first artist to really get fed up and make a song called Fuck Compton. Wasn't the best rapper. No. We could have had other people that could have said something, but Easily. Tim just and that was his one hit anyway. That was, Fuck Compton was his only record he's ever really done. But mm-hmm. shout out to Tim Dog anyway. It was one of those things where you like, boy well, alright. Yeah. Yeah. It was almost like yeah. Like, <laughs> like yeah. yeah right. like, yeah, like fuck them. Like we really tired of sick of that shit. Like Mm-hmm. For real, y'all really think y'all ruling shit? Like Tim was like, no, hip hop started in New York. This is our shit. Fuck Compton. That's it was true. it was a bold move at the time. If for anything, sure. it was sacrificial. Because yeah. you know, at least he got <laughs> the eyes
1: back over to the east and then Tim Dog walked, you know, kind of went off into the sunset. Yeah. But I mean, when it comes to hip hop, man, it was just something I tried to rap one day. We had a cipher at my man's crib. Shout out to my man, Mr. Rogers. And we were right there in uh, 169th, Fulton
0: Terrace. Are you talking about Mr. Rogers, the songwriter? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I know him very well. Yeah. Big yeah. shout out to Mr. Rogers. Yeah. And um, we were doing a cypher in the crib. And it was my turn and I said my rhyme and everybody just kinda stopped and looked and started busted out laughing. I was like, Ah <laughs> right, yeah, this shit ain't for me, but I'm gonna stay in it. I'ma stay I'm gonna find a way to stay in this game, but this this part isn't for me.
0: What was your uh, we're talking to Grey Rizzy if you just tuned in to the podcast, man, right here at level. Come on, son. What was your entrance entrance to it? Because at that time when you were coming up and you're you're making your way into the game, hot ninety seven is the hottest radio station. I like fish grease. Like in the freaking world at the time. What was your way in? Because I don't remember seeing you intern at Hot 97 or anything like that. What was your path into it? I had
1: family that, that was in the business. So I did an internship over at Def Jam. And at that time, Kevin Lyles hadn't even gotten there yet. It was uh, it was. Leo was there. Obviously, Russell, they, they were, he was more a figurehead now. They had already did the deal. With mm-hmm. so you had family that worked at Def Jam? No, but okay. just in the industry. So I, it right. exposed me to a lot of different stuff. Okay. And at that time, um, I want to say, like, my first... That summer before I went to college... Where
0: was Def Jam located at? Varick, on Varick Street. It was on Varick Street. Right. Okay, right. right. Was so, my sister at the front desk? I, I, Sonya Knuckles? Yes. That's my baby <laughs> sister.
1: <laughs> yes, she was. Because that's when they had... Remember, they when you walked through, they had... All the sneakers, the, yeah. the silver plates on the uh-huh. chains and yeah.
0: stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it wow. wouldn't let Jeff Flood in the building under no circumstances. At all. So you I, do, you know my sister. That's crazy. I got, a lot, of, I got, got crazy. a lot of stories on that. I've seen a lot of things go down on that
1: corner office. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> phone call. But um, who was that? Lior, um, Jazz Young. OK, I, I, shout I was, out to Jazz. I was right underneath Jazz. And then I, that was a young Julie
0: Greenwald and yes. Kaiser. They were Michael all Kaiser. Michael Kaiser, all of out. them. Yeah. All these big Jason time executives now.
1: Now now they're they, all universe now. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: and Leo's over fucking YouTube now, making all the moves. It's crazy, mm-hmm. crazy. Big shout out to them. Leo used to manage us. Really? Yeah, he managed Dre and I. We were part of of uh, you know Russell them. They had the management company, Rush Management. Rush Management. Right. And Dre and I were part of Rush Management. My second big. Uh, contract I got from MTV was be- for, because of my longtime manager Charlie Stetler, and then he negotiated the deal for me to get on Hot 97 with Steve Smith, but the first major contract that we got and money that we got out of MTV, Leo Cohen went in and got it. I mean, to be, to be, like, to see a lot of that stuff at a young age, mm-hmm. you know, like, the success,
1: all the success that you had, but just to be able to see, like, the types of moves that were being made, like, in Def Jam it was almost all it was vertical and like they had their own art arm could with like with C Adams.
0: Yeah, yeah. Say say Adams did the logo for No Face. Right. No yeah. Face Records was my label. See, yeah. <laughs> they, they my, was- myself, Sean, and Mark. We were no face, bro. And I had to bow out because when we get ready to put the album out, MTV got wind of it and said morally in my contract I couldn't do that type of stuff. we were the East Coast two live crew. So we had bitches with problems. Um, And we're the first ones to uh, give—Gee, Hype Williams did his very first video, and I had to sign off on it.
1: He did his first video without. with with us, yeah. i need to go come over here all the time.
0: About <laughs> that. Know that. Shout out the hype, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was crazy. So you was there during the Rush Associated label mm-hmm. stuff with Jam Master J had JMJ Records. JMJ, yeah, yeah. We had uh, No Face Records. There was a couple of labels, and there's a lot of things going on on Def you Jam. Seen all kinds of stuff, uh, uh, Grave Diggers, and what was uh what's his name? That was what uh, Rizzo was a part of the Grave right. Diggers. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. And then I think uh, Russell's nephew, I forgot his
0: name, man. Oh. Oh my something. God. It, wasn't he in the grave diggers? <laughs>
1: it was, I don't know if it was, it might've been another group that was similar. That was, to the they grave. was trying
0: to call it horrorcore. Horrorcore,
1: at, yeah. Horrorcore at the yeah. time, yeah, yeah. When I was there, they had popped off the Month of the Man um, promo, and that was when Redman oh, wow. and Method Man first came out and you started to see them, to, not so much together, but both the albums dropped. Right. So I think it was to Cal and there's a the dark side. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was exciting time. So in being in that type of energy, I'm like, yeah, I want to be. Here. I want to do this, you know. <laughs> and a couple of times, like the the things that I learned that on the other side, like Raj, my uh, a couple of other friends like Super Mario, yeah, they were all over at Uptown
0: mm-hmm.
1: before it, they went over to Bad Boy, right. So you know, between the two of us, we was all, we was out every night. We were seeing all of the best, to in our opinion, all of the best product hitting the street, and we was the ones that was putting it out there. We was feeding the street, so to speak. So I was like, yeah, I want to do this, man. I want Is stick this, around in this during business. the time
0: of street teams? Absolutely. And this is just
1: before, because Mario took that street team shit to another level, man. And I mean, you know, he had other people with him, but when you're talking about that bad boy street team, they, there was a lot of people that were shooting for him. And, no, you know, dis- no disrespect to the homie that was over there at Loud and stuff, but, you know, Loud was doing their thing, but everybody wanted to be part of that bad boy <laughs> <team>. <laughs> hey, YouTube. You really. too?
0: It me too. I wanted to, be, but I was, you
1: know. I was over here with Def Jam, but we, you know, we were doing our thing as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was a, that was competition a, a, was good. It was healthy. Competition was healthy. It was wonderful. It was when stickers were all over the place, everywhere. Posters were all Snipes. over the place. Snipes was all over the place. <laughs> the, yeah, and yeah. We don't you do not the Staples. You couldn't go past a telephone pole without something up there from from somebody. And it, let me tell you the story with that real quick. A, a quick funny story.
1: Ed, like at first it was like, you know, you pat, 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 pat. pat. It was just one. It was two-sided. You put it on a telephone pole so you could see it, right? Right. And then I don't know where, who started, what happened, but it went from one to three to like, yo, we're putting 16. We're filling up this whole telephone pole (laughs) and pushing it up to the very, very top. Right. So, you know, it, it was one of those things like as the music was growing and getting bigger, it was like... Things were being competitive, and how people were pushing stuff out—that was getting competitive too. But it was, it was fun. Don't get me wrong; it was—it wasn't like it was, you know, walking apart. Sometimes shit got a little dicey out there, but
0: yeah, street it, team versus street team. Yeah. Somebody tearing somebody else's stuff down, yeah. putting up their own stuff. So you said you were going out every night. What what clubs was popping then when you was coming? Of course, the, there's the tunnel, right? You you gotta know about the tunnel. But there was, um,
1: you know, this is a little bit later on, man. But we were hitting up. Uh, like the Roxy, and the Roxy was kind of you know, starting to switch over. That was another big spot. You had the Supper Club. That was another big spot. Envy, that was a big a big spot. They used to do that on Wednesdays. Um, At the time, we were starting to get into, it's a little bit later, but we were starting to get into Cheetah. That 21st Street block was heavy. Where
0: Puff ended up putting Justin's the restaurant. Right. That that Club Cheetah was woo.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yes, that,
0: sir. That, that right there, and I think that had, I'm
1: trying to think who was promoting that at the time, man. That, was that AJ? AJ Black Diamonds was a party. Yes. They were doing something there. Yeah. Um. There was this uh, cat, I think Adam was part doing something over there. There was a couple of cats, and it was like they had different nights, and then there was one night where they all kind of like had an in on it. Yeah. And it was the party to be at. Yeah, definitely. But it was different at that time, because, Ed, at that time, there was still clubs in New York. Now, New York is the city that never sleeps, but we don't have as many clubs. Yeah, because not Because now all. there's more... <laughs> more buildings, residential buildings and stuff. It's big money. But you at any given time, man, you could hit like five, six, seven, eight clubs in one night.
0: Yeah. To get the work in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There were so many clubs in New York, bro, that you find yourself walking into your house seven o'clock in the morning, maybe eight o'clock in the morning. Then everybody would go over to the cafeteria, and have eight. breakfast. Yep. And you didn't know what time you was getting that. I, mean, I used to do it so hard, bro, that... I had to make sure that I had a futon in my office at Hot 97, <laughs> bro, or a couch right. because I would go out, I would party to four, I would go directly to the radio station, catch that last little two hours or hour and a half worth of sleep, up and I'm on the air. That seemed like the schedule. I think <laughs> I think you might
1: have made that schedule. I know Cass is still do it right now.
0: Yeah, but you had to. Yeah. You, you had to because there home. was no social media. Right. Right? Your social media was absolutely socializing with other people in the business and making your connections With other people in the business, how did you go from Def Jam and get into radio? Radio was kind of uh, it was a mistake, you know. Really, I didn't didn't have any.
1: I didn't want to be in radio. I didn't. I didn't think about doing this. What Um, did you want to do? We're skipping. Well, I wanted to be in management because a lot of you know my older brother, shout out to Rod Glasgow, we um he was in management and I had saw a lot of the success on the business side of managing uh who artists. So your he, brother at the manager? time he was he was uh he was our, he was managing a a new artist her name is Armoretta. okay she she ended up doing she got signed but she never really hit that full potential mm-hmm. but if you know Reddit was almost and Roger was part of that too Reta was like Cardi B before Cardi B but that was like 10, 15 years ago oh wow so you know everything is timing right but when it came to radio the I gotta I gotta say, shout out my man Self Self had gotten a gig. On Sirius, and he was doing some stuff over there, and I was still promoting. Now I transitioned from being uh, in the in the business, and, you know, interning and stuff. I became a party promoter because I was in the clubs all the time. So, okay, and I knew a lot of people, so bringing people out like that. So I would go to this radio station myself before he would get off. So then we would go to the party together. Okay, because he was most likely spinning mm-hmm. the party I was promoting. Anyway, right. And then um, I think a couple of times something happened. He was like, "Yo, just go ahead and say something." I'm like, "Man, I don't know what the I don't know what to say to all these people. Like, right. what are you talking about?" He's like, "Yo, just just buy me some time." That happened a couple of times. Um, then his spot became like the meeting spot, and then a couple other people would come meet up before. We is go this head
0: out. is this before he was on Hot 90? Before, before. Yeah. Before, yeah. before, before he was on Power. He was on Power. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. before so we um. I actually am the one that got Self on the Power 105 see cause Self used to DJ I used to go to some joints and hear him DJ and I was like this dude needs to be a part of what we doing because he's bubbling mm-hmm. in the streets him and God rest his soul called Blaze mm-hmm. it's another one I go to Babaloos before I used to do Saturdays live from Babaloos and I used to hear Carl Spin and I was like this dude gets it like and I brought the program director there to see self, and I bought the program director there to see Carl Blaze. Yeah, I mean both, like
1: one of a kind.
0: Like yeah, got, when you
1: say they get it, it's for all the DJs out there. You got have all the damn equipment you want, but if you don't got a feel for the people, you just go to you just yeah, you, you can forget about mediocre. It. You know what I'm saying? You're right. Like you press buttons, but you know both of them. You know their their mic game, being able to control the
0: crowd, knowing what songs to play, a one. Yeah. Yeah. So you just hanging out with self up at Sirius XM. You party promoting what clubs? You were doing different clubs then? Doing different clubs. What Again, year are we talking about we're
1: here? We're talking 2003 to about 2000. We're not going to Atlanta. 2008. Okay. Yeah. So um, at like Supper Club, Roxy's, like just before Roxy closed, we were doing the spot that was uptown. Oh, man, there was a spot that that was right there on Columbus where you would go down the steps right off 70 seconds. Oh, it's not Chaz and Wilson's, is it? Not Chaz and Wilson, which is a good spot if you want to catch some live music. Yeah. I think I saw Prince there one time. <laughs> oh, shit, that's Prince yeah. right there. But they, I forgot the name of
0: that spot. But we were doing... Um, I know what you're talking about. Damn, I can't remember. That's why ain't even there no more. I can't remember the name of the spot. I know it, what you're don't talking worry, about.
1: Though. The club ain't there anymore. Yeah, and either, the club man. is not
0: even there. It's probably like a
1: CVS or something <laughs> right now. But we were um, doing like American Park Cafe. Okay. Over, you know, right before you would go on the Statue of Liberty, go take the. Uh, yeah, the tour, oh, that the, shit the ferry. was fire. Yeah, man. There's times Whoa. we had parties in there when the floor was bouncing. I was like, you know what? Bro, that spot. to the
0: edge. Was fire. That's right down there by the FDR. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh man! Mm-hmm. I met we- one of the baddest South African chicks. Shout out Michelle! Right. I know she's still <laughs> in Brooklyn somewhere. <laughs> she she is incredibly
1: out. beautiful. Wow! Yeah, bro. Um, I let me think of another spot. We actually did Hammerstein Ballroom. Okay. We were uh we weren't the first. I got to shout out my man Ouija because he had Ramsey Racing, and um I forgot the other name of the group that they went through, but they 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 were one of the first ones that I saw do that. Yeah. And do it successfully. But when we did American Park Cafe, I mean um, Hammerstone Ballroom, like we packed it out. It was like twenty five, three thousand people, like that. And we didn't again social media. No, we were doing like a lot of the. I was taking a lot of the stuff I learned on Street Team, and we were going out hand to hand flyers, not just handing them out, talking to people, bringing them out for you know the clubs and stuff. Self did that party too. It was such a dope party at. Like, I remember the cops from Manhattan North walking around, it's like, yo, what's going on here? Because I was like, is everything okay, officer? You know, if anything, I was the guy, I was the diplomatic cat. Okay, okay. Because my man, my partner <laughs> Africa was probably like, man, what the fuck these guys want? What they going they go shut us down? They go shut us down, I was like, ah, what's going on? He's like, I don't, he, the, the officer came over and he was like, yo, we came over to find out what was going on because the line is in front of our house right now. Our police, oh, wow. uh, the precinct, which means the line went from the front of, Hammerstein Ballroom on Thirty Fourth Street. Yeah, this all is in down. the
0: heart of New York City. Right, ladies and gentlemen. Right, right by Madison Square Garden. Across the street. Across the damn street. It's going down to
1: uh, where they're closest to Eighth. It's going all the way up Thirty Fourth to 9th Avenue, around the corner to Thirty Fifth Street, and then back up in the middle of the block, and that's where the precinct was. And we had right. a line of like maybe three, four people across. So he's like, "Yo, what the hell are y'all doing in here?" It's like just a party. We didn't have social media. We didn't do, um, like, we did some emails, but for most of our and we were selling hard tickets. And shout-out to um, Gator. Remember Gator Productions? Yeah, shout-out to like Gator. That? Made a lot
0: of money with Gator. Big shout-out
1: Um, We still did dress-up parties at that time. Wow. So it was it was a lot that we had going on. And it might, I, to, for us, I'm not going to say we, it was the one that popped self off because he was already doing his thing. He was dope. But it was the one that opened up a lot of eyes. Right. And from that time, like, we we just was like a lot. We was together a lot. Self was a real super personable person, though. So you know, it's like the city just gravitated to him. Yeah. So um, like when he like when we hang out and we go to like the you know the station and shit. It it was just one of those things. Like damn, after a while, it got to be like yo, maybe I I can do this. I didn't take it like oh, if you're doing it, I could do it. It mm-hmm. wasn't that, but it was one of those things like I could see how this could work for me.
0: Right. Like, who 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 decided to green light you? That's serious.
1: It was one of it was one of those things where self, uh, he was getting real busy, mm-hmm. and um, it was like, yo, who? How do we make this work? I don't want to leave. I want to make sure y'all are good. And shout out to superstar Jay Queens. Right, Queens get the money all day. Um, and we were just like, well, how do we make this happen? And it was Ron Mills. Okay. Ron Mills was the one who made that that happen and make that work, because mm-hmm. he saw he saw not only the talent, but the work that we was putting in. He could call us for like a fucking F-level artist, and we'd be there and give the same energy as if it was an a A-plus A plus artist. Right. You know, and he started to see, and he was like, yo, it, it, I think it's something with these guys, mm-hmm. and he kept
0: us on. When did you fall in love with it? I think it was a... Um, did it even, take a year, two years, took, three it years? It took a
1: little bit for me to really fall in love with it, because at the time, I was still working a corporate gig. Okay, doing so what? I was doing sales for at the time. What was the company name? It was called Tom Warner. Now I think they call it something else. But I was doing business to business sales, so it was like uh, I was dealing with a lot of property owners, mm-hmm. and um, management companies, and stuff like that to get cable in these spots. Okay. I was slinging cable, but okay. just directly to you know the businesses and sometimes the people. Right. But the um, you know, the love is like in this in this passion over here. Like I don't want to leave this is the i need to figure out a way to still be in the business right and this was my way to still be So when you are working at
0: Time Warner are you living by yourself now you out on your own
1: no so i have a i have my lady okay um, and she just moved up from atlanta cuz when i went to atlanta which i said i would never move and live in atlanta okay i eventually go and move to atlanta for like about <laughs> a year um and we had knew each other previously we lost touch we um, reconnected, and then we really reconnected down there. So she moved back to New York maybe a year after I came up. Okay. Um, We found out that we were going to have a little girl. Okay, and congratulations. And we already had a son. And it was one of those things like, oh, shit, I got to get a job job. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yeah, I, I got go. two on the floor? Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I got to get a real job. Like a job job. You know, when you're out there and in the street, not, not illegally, legally. As but a party promoter. As a party promoter, it's ebbs and flows, ups and downs, peaks right. and valleys. And it was a lot of valleys, B. Like, you might get a hit. You, you might catch, like, oh, we made thirty five dollars tonight, $3,500. Or, I, you know, personally, individually, I might have walked away from something with, like, 1500 Right. But there's a couple of nights where you're like, damn, I only got enough of, like, some, some Metro car money or some cab money or something like that. Right. So when we found out we was going to have another one, I was like, I got to go get a gig. Went and got the gig, but I was still, you know, still in the game on the radio side.
0: When, when did you just stop? the corporate gig and said, okay, I can do this. It was Because at uh, first you had to be doing it for free.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely was doing it for free. And a lot of
0: people were like,
1: yo, how can you, the funny thing is with, with this gig and party promoting, I was able to make money off of being there. You know what right. I'm saying? So a lot of people was like, oh, you're up there, you do this, you talk to this person. You're... And there's other there's opportunities that comes up. Mm-hmm. And you're like, "Uh, yeah, well, you know, I was going to invite this person to the party anyway, because that's my man or whatever. But if you're willing to pick, cut a check for that, all right, well, then we'll, we'll figure that out. You know, right. We'll figure out how this works, you know. um, Definitely was doing radio for free, though. And the gig itself, it was, you know, it was 9 to 5, and then I was able to do the other 9 to 5. The radio, the thing that was the saving grace is that we were only one time a week, though. We were on Saturdays. Okay. And we had, I think at the time, we had a four-hour slot. We did, like, 8 to 12 or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's not like I had to be in there every day. I had a little time to prep for it. The day that I walked away and I sat down with my wife at the time, I was like, look, I'm going to do this full time. I want to say it was like uh, 2013 or something like that, Mm -hmm. because eventually I knew I was going to have to make have to make a choice. And now the company, um, they're calling me in more and more. Mm -hmm. We need you to sit with this person. We need you to sit with this person because the. uh, in my opinion, I think what a lot of other people saw was the, the strength of having a good conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yo, and then now it's starting to spread. So now the labels are asking, yo, can we sit with Gray? Right. Uh, the artists who have other artists that they mess with, yo, you need to go sit with my bro Gray. So that was working for me. And I think it was, I had a Puff interview, me and Superstar Jay. Mm-hmm. Puff had just signed with Epic. That was the first day. And everybody's kind of running around like their hair's on fire because they're like, yo, we want to make sure this is all right, both on the label side and the serious side. And it was the day that I was just like, Psh, I'm going to go for it. Because I had always kind of like, I, I throttled back a couple of times. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't always go all the way hard. And this time, me, I went, not went at it with Puff, but I, I let Puff know how I felt about the music. And mm-hmm. I, being someone who has seen it, I felt like if anybody could tell him this, from the heart, is me because I've been there since the fucking beginning. Right, and I let him feel it, and he 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 felt it. He gave the energy right back, and it was a good. It was just a really dope moment. He walked out of there. Actually, he was on air. He was like, "Yo, I don't know who needs to hear this or who who's saying what, but these guys, you need to keep these guys." These guys got it. <laughs> and he, it, it was just a good vibe. And you know, shortly after that, I was like, you know what, I'm never gonna be able to reach the full potential if I keep one foot over here and one foot over here. I gotta have two feet over here.
0: Right. And do it all the way. And that
1: I made that decision.
0: And Ron Mills co signed it. It was good. Yep. When got you the contract that you needed yeah. and everything over there. You know there. how it moves over there after about a month and a half. But yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. You know I know <laughs> how it moves over there. God, <laughs> it, it took it me happened.
0: it took me a year to get a freaking studio to do my thing out of. I was bouncing all over everywhere. When I first got the series, I was voice tracking. Mm-hmm. And then it just and yeah, man, things just it just took a while. It, it it really did take a while, but I'm glad that I had that experience up there. Most interesting interview you think you've ever done? I think Puff was really interesting. I think uh there was an interview I had with Royster five nine
1: mm-hmm. that was really deep because it pulled in some personal stuff, not only from my family, but the personal stuff that he put out he puts out publicly. Right. And people are able to hear themselves, but we kinda you know, were able to dive a little bit deeper in that. Um having a conversation over the phone with Eminem that that was like how know, was that that doesn't always happen yeah that, that was dope man you know to be able like one of the channels i work on is his channel right Shay 45 shape 45 and to be able to have that conversation with him it's like yo this is one of one of the best to, to ever do it you know and yeah and it was at a time where he you know he just he just really he doesn't he doesn't talk a lot to people you know he doesn't speak a lot to people yeah. outside of him recording yeah so to be one of those people that he decided to say, yeah, I'll speak with him. Yeah.
0: That was just like,
1: what's the affirmation? Confirmation?
0: I was on the air one night at SiriusXM, and and I think it was around the 10th anniversary of Shade 45, and M came up there, and I was asking everybody, I said, man, let me get, can y'all ask M, can I get an interview, right? Oh, he's just gonna be up here for a minute, Ed. He ain't staying. Now, I know he got to walk right past me mm-hmm. when I'm on the air, and I see him and Paul, Come down, his his manager and partner Paul, come down the hallway, and Paul looks into the glass and sees me, and I go, "What's up?" And I go tap M, and he taps Eminem, and he points and and walks right into the studio, puts the headphones on, and sits down with me. Let's see that you look at that. everybody. Nobody would ask. Look at that. I didn't have to respect. ask. I was just like just tap him, mm-hmm. and then when I went to Saturday Night Night uh, Saturday Night Live with Chance was performing, and um. And I think M was M was a guest host, or Chance was the host, and M was M was performing. I'm standing in the hallway, and M walks by and stops and go, "What's up, Ed?" I go, "What's up, M?" So we talk for a minute, and he goes, "I gotta go to the dressing room real quick." He goes to his dressing room. His security comes back, it taps me and says, "Yo, uh, M want to know would you take a picture with him?" Look at that, bro. Look at that. That's look at that level of respect. There. Yeah, it was crazy. It's almost like you know. It's I. He some, go, he's telling me how much he idolized you on TV Raps when he was coming up, and he was he was getting his shit together, and it's the outlet that the only outlet they had for rap at that time was you on TV Raps. So it was it's a real cool conversation with him, man.
1: It, it's one of the best the best feelings, you know. Anytime like an artist or a guest, anyone they come up and they just kind of it's not the the initial ones like, hey, yo, great interview or whatever, great talk or whatever, right? But it's to be able to be out somewhere where it's not planned. It's not scheduled. Right. And you still get that same genuine love.
0: Right. There's nothing, there's nothing like that. Man, you are into so many different things, promoting events, introducing new artists. Why? How do you do everything at the same time, bro?
1: I think for at least at least for me, um, at, at some point people used to say, you know, it's for the culture, for the culture. And I felt like that that started to get Washed out, you know, and
0: yeah. watered down because people oh, yeah, were just everything. saying it to say it, but
1: they didn't really actually love. You know, the I culture. took
0: I, I took um Puff the task for saying that. Oh yeah, about Ciroc. Yeah, Ciroc it's, is not for the culture. No, it, I mean, it's you, for you're it. not going to push an alcoholic beverage and say that's for the culture. It's for the paying public, <laughs> <laughs> or it's not for the <laughs> culture. Saying, it's not for the culture overall, now you doing well within that endeavor is good for the culture. Right. But Ciroc as a brand of alcohol, which is owned by Diageo, is not for the culture. It's for the lifestyle. It's for the lifestyle. So say that. Right. But it's not for the culture. Having people fucking drunk is not for the culture. I'm sorry. It's cool. <laughs> Lifestyles a cool brand. You know, I love Puff. I've known Puff forever, but that ain't for the culture, bro.
1: I think with um, what I was seeing is that there's of course people want to get paid for their efforts yeah. you know what i'm saying so and it's only right but where i pull the energy from is because i love what i do you know what i'm saying i love i love the opportunity to go ahead and work with people whether it be established or mm-hmm. new if you know we all have something where you can say with just like when women or guys see the opposite sex or same sex i don't want to offend anybody out here but you see somebody you be like yeah you know within the first 10 15 seconds yeah they could get it Right it's the same thing for music for most of us. They got it. whatever it is, you could sometimes put <laughs> you could put an expiration date on it. you right. have this much time, right right but for for like working in all these things, whether it be within the music, within fashion, you know, just doing different types of like activations with different groups and stuff, to me, it's just all part of furthering the culture, you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. pushing it because there's a lot of people who still haven't experienced what I experienced growing up in the 80's. Mm-hmm. and there's there might be people who really want to see what that's like or right. you know a lot of people weren't around when that bad boy era popped right or that rough rider era popped, Lord, or that ma- ma- that murder inc era popped right but you see out here that a lot of kids emulate it
0: mm-hmm.
1: right they want they want to go they wear their clothes a certain way they wear a certain type of graphic that takes you right back to the first time you saw Masterpiece cover. So right. there's all these things that are in there. Why not be a part of, you know, ushering that in correctly? This mm-hmm. is this is what, don't don't just, let's not just trace it. Let's not just Xerox it. Let's usher it in correctly, and then you add what you got to add to it. Right. So that that's where I kind of, I just want to make sure it's, it, it, at least it's authentic to whatever I'm putting out. You know, whatever I put my fingerprint on, I just want to make sure it makes sense to what I came up on.
0: Coming from the era that you came from, the era of Bad Boy, the era of, you know, Death Row, Def Jam, Murder, Inc., all of these, uh, Rockefeller, all of these things that's going on now, and you saw all the artists, you helped promote a lot of the artists, you have relationships with a lot of those artists. Do you think it's easier now or then to be an artist? I think it's easier
1: now because you could just, you can upload it, and we got it. We got to step back for a second. Being an artist, it's it's almost like you know. It's one of those things like anybody can be an artist, but what's your level of talent? You know, like how are you mm-hmm. going to be received? Right. A lot of people like to give themselves their own nicknames and give themselves their own <laughs> titles nowadays. Right. You put yeah. it out there. If you put it out there enough, people start to believe it. Right. Um. I think it's easier now to to be part. Of this industry and be part of you know some type of musical landscape, but mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't they don't take stock in is managing your relationships correctly, going out there to, to network. Like you can't you know some people are introverted, but maybe you need to have somebody on your team who can speak on behalf of you mm-hmm. to get your name out there in the places that you're you probably just don't want to speak in. Um, eventually, you got to speak because you got to hit that stage, right? Um, I also think like uh, a lot of people they don't they don't touch enough people personally. Like the artists that tend to stick around are the ones that people have they become invested in. Mm-hmm. They buy into to them as as a person, right? Like, you know, I I look at some of these different things where people say like, "Yo, you know, you gotta have a story." Well, don't just fucking make that story up today. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, tell the full story. Right. A lot of artists, like again, you can make the music, but if you don't. If you really don't have something that people can buy into 100%, you're only going to be here for a little bit. It's e- It might be easier, but I think some of the steps that made, you know, a Nas who Nas is, a Snoop who Snoop is, a Dre who Dre, you know, who made, how it made Dre, some of those people, I, th- I don't think, they skip a lot of steps because it's so easy to press a button. Mm. And how can you ever miss what you never
0: had you and what right. I
1: mean by that it's a little bit of reverse engineering. If you never had to go through a certain type of struggle to get your stuff out, then you're not gonna miss it when it's so easy to just push the press a button and it pops out of nowhere.
0: You're like, oh I could do this again. I could do this again. I could do this again. But well, isn't it harder for them because it's so flooded nowadays. It's super saturated. Absolutely. Super saturated and you know, I don't like to keep reverting to back in our days. Like that talent It was super saturated. It was a lot of people that wanted to be artists. There was a lot of rosters that had a lot of groups on there that we had never heard of. And it was like, well, my man, is I'm putting this guy on and this guy and this guy and that guy. But there was something about the artists that popped, that that raw, real talent was there. It was something about the people who was on the roster of Dev Jam that were really, really so far above everybody else. Like, we were talking about Wayne um, Earlier today on my radio show on 1043 Jams, um, being at Lollapalooza, you got to see Wayne, right? right? There was something about Wayne that was just like, okay. You know what I mean? Mm. It was, it, it was, and even though we all thought Juvie was the guy that was coming out of that. Wayne, camp.
1: Was, Wayne was what, third option? Yeah. Maybe fourth option? Yeah. Right? And depending on when Birdman wanted to jump in, he might have dropped down to six or right. something, right? But you had Juvie. You had BG. Yeah. Turk was over there. Yeah. And like I said, when Wayne I mean when when Baby or and then Baby a man and Manny French had
0: their group, the big the big timers, right?
1: He had to he had to I'm not necessarily like everybody gotta wait their turn, but he had to prove himself to come up through that camp. Right. And when he got his shot, he knocked it out the park. Sure did. Right? And he, he kept on growing, growing, growing. There's a lot of artists out here, even though it's a lot of saturation, what you know, how how are you proving yourself? like how are you measuring yourself against your peers is still sharpening still yeah. or are you just out here putting stuff up and hoping that it, that it gets out there there's a lot of stuff that's out there that's good that you know we don't get to hear but guess what there's there's a whole like outside you know just a, aside from what we put on radio we discover all this stuff on digital all the time mm-hmm. different playlists different platforms and stuff and then eventually they make their way over my fear for them is they just did it as a hobby and they didn't really have the passion behind it the drive behind it so the minute that they hit a wall or they hit some type of obstacle it just you know they just kind of back off it right they don't want to do it as much nah this you know this is this game isn't for the meek right you got to be a warrior in this to go ahead and make it through and you are mentally
0: and you got to have a strong team with you as well you definitely got to have a strong team and you got to be mentally strong and really really wanting to do it because it's business and it's talent, but you gotta have that talent there. You gotta, you gotta have the talent, and you
1: please know the business, know something of it. You know, just pick <laughs> up a book, talk to
0: somebody that's in the game, But figure it out. You have to, and especially if you want to survive for as long as a lot of these artists have survived and made a good living, and now you could get a greater living at this than we could have ever imagined. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, look at somebody like.
1: Um, Look at somebody like Lil Nas X. Right. Came out of nowhere to most people. 17 weeks in a row. He might be going on 18 at number one on the mm-hmm. Billboard Hot 100 chart. Right. chart that's only been in existence for 60 years. This kid <laughs> just smashed the record. Smashed Mariah Carey's record, now, too. I was just about to bring her up. You got Mariah Carey, and I think it was at the song with Boys II Men. hmm You got them on one hand. You got, uh, was it J Balvin? I forget who it was. It was it was a, a Latin group. On the other hand, mm-hmm. and you look at that talent, weigh that, and it's like taste is indisputable. What you like, I can't say is trash because right. it's your preference. That's right? right. But I'm sure when people say like, "Yo, if someone from the gatekeeper era was like, let's wait, let's look at all this talent and see who can match up against Mariah Carey," I guarantee you they would have never picked. Little Nas X. No way. Never
0: would have picked Not that Not a kid. guy that was a Nicki Minaj, president of a Nicki Minaj fan club. Never would have picked this Not kid. Not a guy whose name is Little Nas X. Would have got, got caught up on that.
1: Right. And I said something about it too. I was like, you know, I'm all for young artists getting out there. I would have picked another name. Right. But I'm all for that. But the fact that this kid can do it, it's showing others you can do it, but you got to look, you got to take into account how strong was his team. How focused was he to go ahead and meet that mark? Right. Obviously, the talent is there. The right. creativeness yeah. is there. But you know, in the very beginning, when I heard the song, I was like, "Oh, this is the Rapping Duke."
0: That's what I thought too. This is the Rapping Duke. Okay. Yeah. I get it. I was just about to break bring it up. It hasn't been a country rap song since the Rapping Duke. Yeah. And now you got other kids. There's other kids behind him
1: now trying to con- start trying to break country rap. Wow. So it's it's it can happen. The the thing is is like. I always wonder where where people's heads are at in this because I've I've also experienced artists where they catch tantrums over the littlest thing. Mm-hmm. And you're like I don't know how long you're going to last in this. Yeah. Good luck, brother.
0: I give you a classic example of that. Big hit record uh uh Lomi D. Uh-oh. You Scheduled make- her four times to come and do morning radio. She ain't short. sure Didn't show up. After the fourth time, they tried to, oh, she can't get up in the morning, blah, 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 blah. After the fourth time, I said, no, no, we can't reschedule her again. And then I was like, don't worry about her. With that attitude about not being able to get up and come and do your run of radio, she ain't going to last that long. And I was absolutely correct.
1: I've never heard an excuse like that. That was a weak-ass excuse. Right. You know, I don't know who it came from. A I don't know what who are,
0: and her team. How's your team not tell you the importance? Right. There's certain shows right now that's so important to an artist that you don't miss them. You don't miss the Breakfast Club if you get an invitation right now. You don't miss doing Drink Champs right. if you get an invitation right now, mm-hmm. and you don't miss doing Angie Martinez in New York if you get an invitation right now. All of my peers, all people that I love dearly, all I'm very, very proud of, and you don't miss that run at SiriusXM because that's a fucking run. You know what? A lot. You of know people... how many different right. shows you could do at SiriusXM. You know, I've
1: heard all kind of, uh, all kind of. And I just want to say this about the she can't wake up in the morning. So you telling me you can't go out here and get this money? Right. This is a, you could just stop right there. That's it. You telling me you can't get because her sitting down with you on your show at how many people listen to that? How many people want to book after that? How many people want to go ahead and listen to that song even more? That's right. That right there, I would have been, you're right. That's it. I'm done. But getting back to the the serious run, I don't think people sometimes understand what that building is until they get upstairs. Exactly. Because they look around and they're like, wait a minute. Because you, you've gone to a lot of different stations across mm-hmm. the country probably at this point if you're an artist. And you get up to Sirius for the first time and you're like, wow, this really... 30-plus studios in it. hmm You know, like, oh, shoot, that's this. Part. And as you're walking by, you're seeing top actors, actresses, musicians, athletes.
0: Philanthropists. Philanthropists. Play, your know, Broadway plays. Uh, right. You're
1: seeing all kinds of stuff you might, going well, you, on. Well,
0: you might see Madonna walk down the hallway, and I've seen Real that, too. story. I've True seen that, too. True story. It's like the Noah's Ark of entertainment up there. You know what I'm saying? You see all kinds of stuff. When you first walk in the lobby, they have a a person's name, a big-time person's name. I met freaking Melissa McCarthy up there. Mm -hmm. I fucking met Bob James, which was one of the greatest moments of my life because Bob James is responsible for Welcome to the Mardi Gras, which was sampled by Run-DMC, you know, um, and a lot of other freaking people. So I got to meet Bob James up there. I got to talk to Smokey Robinson up there and tell Smokey Robinson, I said uh, something to Smokey. I said, um, first, first of all, it's an honor and a privilege for me to meet Smokey Robinson because I think Ooh Baby Baby by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles is the greatest greatest love song under two minutes. A little over two <laughs> minutes I've ever heard. And he did everything he's supposed to do and he wrote it. And he wrote My Girl for The Temptations. And he wrote uh, My Guy for Mary Wells. I mean, Smokey Robinson's pen game is fucking ridiculous. Anybody that's ever made love to Cruising by D'Angelo is because Smokey, Smokey Robinson, Robinson wrote it and that was his song first, okay? And I told Smokey, I said, I'm gonna tell you something about yourself that you would not believe that I know. And he was like, what is it? I'm sitting down interviewing him. I said, only two people walked away from Motown owning all their publishing. You're one of them. And he said, who's the other one? I said, Stevie Wonder. He said, how do you know that? Because I'm a liner note reader like a motherfucker. Mm. When them albums came out, bro, I pulled the album out. I used to read that. I remember sitting down talking to uh, Quincy Jones and telling him about who arranged horns on Michael Jack. And he was like, how do you know this stuff? I was like, bro, I used to read who y'all hired. I used to know Lewis Johnson played bass on this. I used to read those liner notes, man. And when you go to Sirius XM, you never know who you're going to see. Like what actor, what artist, what philanthropist, what who's gonna come through there? And people don't understand how important that building could be to your entire career. Absolutely. The, because sometimes there's somebody up there that don't know that you are coming up there you know, to do the We Out Here show, and I'm there, and I'm coming off my shift, and I'm like, "Can I grab you? Mm-hmm. You're not even scheduled. Can mm-hmm. I? Can I get you? Come on, because now I'm gonna put you on this, and somebody's gonna put you on that. That's very important. And it happens all the time. Yeah, it happens. All the- oh, you you'll get- and you get you got to do sway. I'm sorry for leaving sway out too. You got to do sway. Yeah, yeah, you're right. right you right. have to do
1: sway. The um, you'll get the. Uh, sometimes you get the tech, yo know, Where you at in the building? Right, yo, where you at? And it just happened. Shout out to my man Mike Muse, who's actually on Sway's show. Um, they had called me and they was like, "Hey, can you sit down with someone?" And I was like, "You know, I I can't sit down with them right now because of you know they they don't fit the format." Right. But I got somebody for you. And you make a few phone calls and he's like, "Yo," and it turns out to be a great interview. Right. These are the types of things that happens up there, and more and more, you know, artists artists will get it. But the power within Sirius XM, the reach within that building is crazy. Is it's out of this world. It's If I
0: if I could go back to Sirius XM, I absolutely would. Mm-hmm. Even if I only did one day a show one day a week. Yeah. Because the power that was in that building, the power of what your reach was, was Incredible. And, you know, I get saluted by truckers all over the they, place. Damn now. right, right? <laughs> go, That's yo, right. Yo, Craig, what's going That's on? right. The truckers, bro. Let me the in. Truckers, break break one, truck, two. Truck. What is your ultimate goal? What, what do you see yourself doing? Um, what do you want to do? There, there's a
1: couple of people that I've said in, in this game that I look at, and I'm really impressed with the way they've approached things. And it's to be able to have a live show, executive produce outside of that show. And I'll give you the examples that I think of. Sway is one of them. Mm-hmm. Ryan Seacrest is another. I don't right. know how the hell he sleeps. Either one of them. <laughs> um, Ryan Cameron in Atlanta. Okay. Big boy. Right. I think all those guys are very in- important to the you know, the masses and the people who are tapped into what they say every day. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, being able to have a live show, bring that energy, say in the morning show type of format is something that I want to do. I want to be able to go ahead and tell stories outside of that on television where, you know, you have a little bit of longer form. Visually, you can do a lot more within that. Um, but ultimately, is just to be able to, to tell people stories authentically and get them out. You know, like sometimes, like, yeah, we got to be entertaining. We got to be fun. We got to be witty. We got to be funny right. and stuff like that. But a lot of times, the messaging kinda slips through the cracks. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not really like I wanna be one of those outlets where uh I forgot homie's name, man, and I I don't I don't want to misquote it, but the guy he he used to be on B E T and um I think he got in some trouble after a while, but he uh he had a show like on PBS and people were able to sit down with him and just Tavis Smiley. Travis smiley. Able to have like a good conversation with that. You know, Charlie Rose has done it in the past. Mm-hmm. I even like the way Michael K does center stage. On like yeah, I yes love network. that.
0: Yeah, shout out to Michael K. You, you know? know, and I, I used to call into him every day on my way to work. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's my guy. <laughs> him and Don Lecrae and him. Oh, it's
1: my guy. I loved it. I like that, I, and I like that pairing between those two. But it's like you know, you just get like real some real conversation, but also being able just to find people can walk away from these interactions and these right. experiences that hopefully they get to attend. Saying, I didn't know that. Right. I had no idea about that part. Oh, shit. Wow. That's what I want. That's the ultimate goal,
0: and being able to do it on those different platforms. Absolutely. How, how does it feel to be somebody's father? How old are your children?
1: Uh, our son is 11. Our daughter is 8.
0: You brand new, bro. Brand spanking new. They still got tags under their arms. Wait till, wait till you get a thirty-six year old, a thirty-two year old. I'm worried about that. A twenty-four year old, a twenty-two year old, and a twenty-year old. I'm not rushing the process. Don't get me wrong, because that
1: only means I'm getting older and more gray is coming along, bro. Right. I uh, even at Lollapalooza, Uh like I'm looking at the the landscape of the kids, and sometimes I'm like, you know, my wife always say, "Oh, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready that." You know, that's cool. I understand. But there were certain parts in of yesterday. I was like, yo, I, I, I could see my daughter enjoying all of this. But, you know, as a father, protecting your kids and my, our son, it's like you never want anything to happen bad. So it's like as much as you want to them want for them to enjoy this experience, you're also like, I need to put bumpers around them and wrap them in bubble tape." <laughs> I, I don't want anything to happen. I just, I just want all positive experiences. Right. What I'm learning, and, I, you know, logically you can notice – but what makes them better are those negative experiences as long as they don't hurt them physically and mentally and they're able to bounce back after that. You know, right. like it's just part of it's part of social growth. So being a being a father, um, you know, I, I wanted to make sure, as I said, in when we started the podcast, my mom wasn't always there. Mm-hmm. You know, she tried, but we didn't have the best relationship. I absolutely do not have a, the best relationship with my father, even though he tries. He tried a little too late and now for me it's somewhat of an afterthought. Mm -hmm. I have to get to a point where I gotta kinda let that shit go. Can you forgive your father? I think I've I think I've forgiven him. Um I just think for me it's it's like, yo, I've done all this on with with what I had. Mm -hmm. You adding to this now, it doesn't it's not a plus or a minus. Okay. You know, it's just like it's just there as a stalemate. And it's not, we don't, he tries to talk and stuff like that. And, I, you know, for me, it's, it's just like I, I, I've i learned what works for me is to remove myself from situations that I don't want to be, I don't. that they're not necessarily good for me. Like I've tried to kind of struggle with certain stuff and you find yourself emitting all this energy out and still being depleted at the end of the day, mm. right? In that particular situation, there's going to be times like, you know, I want to be able to, Take him out to dinner, have a conversation, and stuff like that. But right now, I'm still at the. There's no plus. There's no minus for me. When I became a father, I wanted to break that cycle, because most of the kids that I grew up with in the South Bronx, they grew up just like me, right, with their grandmother or their mother, right, and a whole bunch of kids around. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to give them, you know, just things that experiences and things that I weren't I wasn't able to get. But I don't want them, I also don't want to make them like super naive either. Right. You know, like the way we grew up in the city, mm-hmm. our our sense is super sharp mm-hmm. because you had to. It was life or death in most cases, Absolutely. right? And people might say you might listen to this, and be like, "Oh, y'all are exaggerating." No, my guy. No, <laughs> no. Walking across certain streets, you had to see shit from a block away. Be like, you know what? I'm not walking down that block That's right I see what's about to happen. That's right. So, um. Being, being a dad, like, we just moved out to South Orange. I was talking to D. Brown about okay. this. Okay. We just moved out to, to South Orange. And you know we we have a home, we got a backyard, we got some grass. See, you grew up in Queens. We y'all had grass around it. <laughs> we we don't have it's all cement around. Yeah, in South absolutely. Bronx.
0: Yeah. But um, just being able to provide. I had to fuck with people from the Bronx telling them that they had to take a number to have a picnic. That's how much <laughs> that's how much concrete was around. You had it.
1: to go ahead and schedule it like a week. Yeah, or nine, but you know, you know we, know we had to advance. suffer a
0: little bit being from Queens too, man. If it wasn't for running them, I don't know. If we'd have ever started getting any kind of respect, cause they'd be like, "Y'all live in the desert, what the fuck <laughs> out of here. You're the two fans on son? You're yeah. way out there. Yeah, it
1: was crazy." It, 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 I was talking to um, I was talking to Irv Gotti not too long ago. Uh, he just um, he has a show, tales Tales out. on B T. Please on, make sure y'all check Tuesdays, it out. Man.
0: Support my man. I known Irv ever. Yeah, man. We ever
1: were, and Darcel. Darcel is yeah. still working with him, right? Darcel Lawrence. So we were, he was like, yo, how do you two know each other? And it was through my eyes. And Ron Gutter. Oh, shoot. That's right.
0: Ron Gutter is my niece's father. Man. <laughs> you, see, you see how <laughs> so all my this My sister is that you know right. from Def Jam, Sonia Knuckles, mm-hmm. had a baby with Ron. See how all this stuff is connected, bro. Crazy, right? This Ron is, is a great father, too. Shout out to Ron Robinson, who also works with uh Irv and used to be uh Ja Rule's manager. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Shout out to Ron. He's a fantastic, fantastic father man. Ron didn't he, Ron told my sister that that was his baby she was carrying. And he, she denied it, denied it, denied it, because she was in a relationship with another dude. that's what Ron, on the side, mm-hmm. gets pregnant by Ron, denies it forever, then finds out that my niece is not dude's child goes back, and Ron still stepped in like a man. That's a fucking man. I have nothing but admiration and respect for Ron Gutter and the Ron Robinson, his entire family. God rest the soul of his pops, his moms, the way they take care of my niece and Caleb, bro, the way he stepped up automatically. Like, he didn't even, he knew. Mm. He didn't say, well, you kept me away, you didn't. No, he stepped right in, bro, immediately. And my niece is at Clark, Atlanta. Ron lives down south, too, in Atlanta. And, man, when I tell you that girl is well taken care of because of Ron, nothing but love for that brother, man. That's a it, Small world, right? Six, small degrees, world. six degrees
1: of separation. And sometimes we get it whittled down to two. Yeah. You know, we can move it down. But yeah. it's examples like that. But Ron is like, that's what we need to hear more about. Yeah. That's what we need to see more of. Yeah. But on the other side, you know, I I know for every situation isn't the same. I want more women to understand that there's men out there like that. Right. You know, who will step up. Yeah. And more men, we need
0: to. I did. See? I did. Every one of my children know. Even though if I wasn't with their mom or whatever happened between myself and their mom, they know daddy. Mm -hmm. My 20 year old, I just went, I was in New York. A rest in peace to my a uh, little brother Todd one formerly of MTV who passed away like two weeks ago and I went up for his memorial service and my daughter's in college in Montclair, New Jersey. She lives with a mother in Edgewater. I'm here in Chicago. I'm back and forth between here and Atlanta and I went to see my daughter and we went to dinner with my mom and my sister and my niece Kayla, uh, Ron's daughter, and we all went to dinner and when I was walking the back upstairs to their to their place, I said, can I ask you a question? I said, on a scale of one to ten, because sometimes I feel like because I'm trying to provide a, a living for them, it takes me away. Mm-hmm. And I said, on a scale of one to ten, what kind of dad am I? And she said, you're a straight ten. You're the best dad ever. I said, J- long as you know that I love you and I'll do anything in this world to provide for you, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. And I know it's hard for you to balance mm-hmm. between... Your two children, your wife, and the pull of business and industry. Because a lot of our stuff is socializing, right? Definitely, a it, lot of it. You
1: know, when when I was promoting parties, there was a science for me. I don't know how most people promote parties, but there was a science. Like I, and I think I picked this up from um, a little bit from um Derek. Derek's name? Derek Corley. Yeah, from Black Diamonds. From Black Diamonds. Yeah. part the Black Diamonds as well. A little bit of Jessica Rosenblum. Where there's, and she was a promoter as well. Yeah. Legendary Tunnel. Shout out that. to her. Um, there's a ratio to your crowd. And I always feel like 60 to 70% women, 30 to 35% men. Within that, you break that down. You need a couple of hustles in there. You need some working people in there. You break that down. Need some really stunning looking people in mm-hmm. there. You need some okay looking people, but we also need the the frumpy people as well. We need right. them in there too because you know what? We want to all have fun. And for me, it was it was this mixture of stuff. But I always used to pinpoint who was the like the A type women. Like who were who were the who were the leaders and who were the followers? Because if you get the leader, you know you got to get that other that three right. four with them, right? And I used to flirt a lot. And sometimes I used to, you know, get into situations where most of the people I was inviting into our parties. Right. As you get older, and now, you know, I'm, I'm a married man and stuff, I still find ratio and I still break stuff down in the way we do things. But when it comes to the balance of stuff and being able to talk to people and socializing people, it's not flirting so much. It's just making sure that we have good you know, I just wanna put good conversation in there. But real really where we buy into each other. And what my the balance the problem that that's not even problem. What I find in the balance is that you have to make time. There's no excuse. You know how we were just talking about Loomy D's like, oh, Mm -hmm. I can't wake up. Right. Just because I went to an event the night before doesn't mean I get the pass on taking my children to school. Right. I get the pass on making sure that I'm there for plays and stuff like that. If I'm I, the only way I miss a play, which I did this weekend, unfortunately, because a lot of the I was working, I'm there for the play. I'm there for my wife. My wife wants to do something like you gotta make time. And I'm not a relationship expert. Right. But you have to make time in these things to make sure that your relationships works. Your relationship works just as well as your business is working. Right. You know? And that's what I'm learning every day. And I guess that's the part where people will be like, you know, you gotta work at it, right? Right. It's not just your marriage. You gotta work at everything to make sure everything is out the time is allocated properly. Absolutely. To make it work.
0: Aren't you glad you stepped into this business, bro? I am. Every day, <laughs>
1: brother. Good. Every and just if I could say this real quick. Just like you were saying about Eminem, I've taken so many key points and pieces from you, Ed. Thank and you. And you don't know it, but and you know, to sit here, I'll probably be sitting for another fucking hour giving you these examples. Right. But from Being one of the first guys I just saw in hip-hop, being one of the first guys I would hear out there, being one of the first guys that I could say hip-hop put this guy on a movie screen. Right. Well, who's the man? It's the first. I got to thank you for being really the first time being able to hear big on a soundtrack. Mm. Like all of these
0: things. Right. Thank you, Ed Love. Thank you, brother. And thank you for joining me today, bro. I see nothing but uh, great things in your future. It ain't about a destination. Enjoy the journey. Because a hell of a journey it is. I I mean, sometimes I look up and be like, wow, I put kids through college because of hip hop, you know? And and it's and it's a beautiful thing, man. And and big up to you and your wife and your beautiful children, man. It's always a pleasure to see you. Same here, brother. Great Rizzy in the building with me, man. Shout out your uh, Instagram, your shows, everything. Let everybody know where they can find you. You
1: can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Great Rizzy, G R A Y R I Z Z Y. You can check me out on SiriusXM on Hip Hop Nation Monday through Friday, eleven a.m. to five p.m. Eastern Time, and then on Shade Forty Five Eminem's channel. Tuesday through Friday, 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. Eastern Time. Pull up, tune them, tune uh, up, all man, that. that. That
0: boy working, man. All right, that's it for the end. Lover, come on, son, the podcast. Y'all know I always say keep guard first. Everything else will fall into place. I'll talk at you, with you, to you, and about your ass next Monday. All right, come on, son. Now get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, son. This Ed Lover podcast is being done in conjunction with Cigars International. Make sure you check out cigarsinternational.com for all your cigar needs. This episode of Come On, Son, the podcast is produced and engineered by co-executive producers Krista Hayes and Kimana Paulus in downtown Chicago. This is an official Loudspeakers Network podcast.